Today's reading is Psalm 145, a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kendall, and uh, good morning, everybody. It's great to worship among people who, many of whom I've known and loved for many, many years, and uh, it's great to be with you once again. In about the year 1900, some extraordinary research was done when a, a, na- a man named Winthrop, who was an educator, decided to um, track the generations of the Edwards family. And he did so over five generations, getting back to about 1730, to a man called Jonathan Edwards, who became a great preacher in the greater revival in, in America. He married Sarah. They had um, 11 children and prayed for them every night, one by one, and built into them the Christian faith. When they got married, they made a clear decision, no matter what, we will follow Jesus. Now, unbeknown to Winthrop, there was another man called Dugdale, 13 years earlier, he had decided to do, he was a sociologist and he decided to look at prisoners and their heritage. And coincidentally, he went back five generations to the same place, New York, where Jonathan Edwards and his wife began. Five generations. To a couple, um, the couple were called uh, Jukes, Max Jukes and his wife, and they made a choice not to go the way of Christ and made some interesting choices, but a deliberate choice to move away from that foundation. It's interesting, they had similar opportunities. They both went through poverty. There wasn't a class difference. Um, And yet the difference differences between those two lines is staggering. The, Ad, the Edwards family, according to, the, to Winship, 
had a consistent history of Christian faith, of service to the community, including civil service. They produced one vice president of the United States. The, the legacy was profound. 100 ministers existed along that hereditary line. On the other side, it was amazingly different. 150 of the descendants of the Duke spent time in prison, 150. Seven of them were murderers. And while on both sides, on one side you would have unhelpful people and on this side good people, the legacy was profoundly different. On the one hand, a legacy of faith. On the other, a legacy over five generations of unrighteousness and ungodliness. When you speak legacy, you talk about something pretty personal. I found myself thinking about my own legacy. I have no recorded history of Christian faith or even going to church beyond my parents' generation. And I would say no history of committed Christian faith beyond my own. And it matters to me. I first sang that song we just sang when I was working with a bunch of ministers in the mid, mid, middle of Queensland. And they sang that song, I Speak Jesus, for the first time. And I was just about to come up and share with them and, and they were singing this song and it got to that line, I speak Jesus for my family. And I couldn't sing it. And for a while I couldn't say anything. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because every week I go to church and I see on the front row my four little granddaughters who are all espousing Christian faith. And I see the power of legacy. I want you to understand something this morning. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you establish a profound legacy for generations. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is not just an individual thing. It has a profound effect upon the generations that follow. Today, Kendall read Psalm 145. I didn't know you'd been doing a series on Psalms and it sits there quite nicely. But if you listen to Psalm 145, this is what you see. This is what you read. I'll extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord and, and most worthy of praise. And listen to this, verse 4. One generation, shabash, one generation commends the faith to another, speaks Jesus to the next generation. It goes on. They speak of the glorious splendor of your power. They tell of your power and your, your mighty works. They celebrate your abundant goodness. They tell, verse 11, of the glory of your kingdom. They speak of your might 
And then the last verse that was read, verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures from one, listen, one generation to the next, from generation to generation to generation to generation. I believe that not through any great deed of my own, I believe that I'm somewhat of a testimony to that. Friends, disciples of Jesus, speak Jesus to the next generation. How do they do that? They speak Jesus. We speak Jesus daily. Verse 2 of the psalm. Every day. Every day I will speak your praise and extol your name. We do it every day. And let me say, often we do it in little, the little things, in little investments that we make. Now, I mentioned my granddaughters and my children. I know I have many friends, faithful friends, who do not have that privilege, and I can tell you I never take it for granted. There'll be grandparents here, potentially, who know what I'm talking about when you need to take every opportunity you can to pray for your grandchildren or your children. And I know that there are many of us here who will do that, whose children may not go to church or do not have grandchildren in church. Some of you have been praying for your friends for years. And what the Bible says here is that what we do to speak Jesus is we make little investments in their lives whenever the opportunity comes. I know friends who every chance they get tell the stories of Jesus. Every chance they get, they pray with their children or their grandchildren. I want to say to you, those little investments, I don't believe are ever wasted. A few years ago, I was running a a children's ministry seminar and had a speaker from Victoria. And he he said he made a comment at one seminar where he said, I've never had Sunday, what we used to call Sunday school, or children's ministry leaders who've attended my seminars who were not somehow impacted as children. And he said at the end of this seminar, this 40-year-old woman came up to him and said, um, excuse me, I think I'm your exception. She said, I became a Christian when I was 40 years old. And he said, oh, that's fine. You're my exception. You weren't touched by the gospel as a child. But she couldn't get out of her mind, and she was from like a cattle station homestead in the middle of Australia. And the next Christmas, she, she was saying, she went home, and over a table she said to her mum, did you ever send us like to church or Sunday school or children's meeting? What? Did any, was any Christian faith happening in my childhood? And the mother was very adamant, very con- committed atheist household. Said, no way, we would never let you go to those religious 
you know, what's out there. And then the mother started to think. And a couple of nights later, the mother came to the table and said, you know how you asked me whether you were ever touched by the, you know, Christian people as a child? She said, there was one moment. She said, um, I was on the veranda of the station homestead and I was holding a baby and this minister guy, I started to realise that it was a patrol padre who visits the stations in the outback, came to the gate and she said in no uncertain terms, I wasn't letting that, you know what, come in our house. But she said he was so insistent. And eventually she said, can I just pray for the baby? He said, oh, all right. So she led him and he came up to the veranda, laid his hand on the baby's head and prayed a little prayer. And she says, honey, that baby was you. Let me tell you something. I believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Do you? And I believe that when that baby was prayed for, something happened. A legacy was begun. Folks, we speak Jesus. And can I say this? We speak Jesus even when we don't speak. Paul says to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, be an example in your conduct, in the way you speak, in the way you behave. How many of you know that when we live that out, we speak Jesus? This is not about being grandstanding, Bible bashing, It's being Christ, living the legacy. In conduct, in who we are, in the way we are with our friends at uni or work or family or our nephews and nieces or whoever. It's speaking Jesus. Now you'll say, well, I haven't been much of an example. fail most of the times. I'm not sure that I speak Jesus very much in my life. I take great courage from Paul's words to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. And I want you to hear him this morning because you'll sit here and think, what kind of an example, How what kind of an impact can I have? Listen to this. Paul says this. Here is a truck, he says, is a trustworthy saying, this is 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. One of the reasons why I mention this is because a couple of years ago, my son Cullen and I were asked to speak at a Father's Day service. And I guess they were seeing us as father, son, Christian and so on. And the minister said, look, can you come and just share some of your Wisdom, some of those principles 
you know, he didn't say this, but it was almost inferred, guaranteed that your kids were going to work out. I remember going home and thinking, I think I was a lousy parent most of the time. And I take great courage from this. So listen again to Paul. Christ Jesus came into the world, he says, to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Pretty definite. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners. Did you hear that? You thought you were the worst. In me the worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him. I believe in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that the moment that a person sincerely comes to faith, she or he carries the presence of God. Did you know that? You carry, before you ever say anything, you speak Jesus. You carry the presence of God into work, into school, into uni, among your friends. You carry the presence of God. That's why the staff room, you walk in, I was a teacher, you walk in and, and you sit next to someone and they burst into tears. All I said was, hi. Somehow God uses people like you and me at work, in the world, in the community, and please understand my point this morning, in your family. I know about you. I want to leave a legacy that matters. Psalm 100. Another psalm, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout generation, from one generation to another. I want to intentionally, to leave a legacy is to intentionally live your life in Christ. It's not about force, it's not about manipulation. And some of you say, but my kids might reject me if I get too. This or that. I believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe and have believed all my life that the day would come when those who I pray for would come to know Jesus. I want you to imagine something. And again, this is something of testimony. I want you to imagine a single mum walking, living off the streets in Mooney Ponds in Melbourne. Single mum with two children, girl who was 12, a boy who's 10. Nowhere to eat, nowhere to sleep, nothing to eat, nowhere to sleep on the streets. This is during the Depression, 1930s, there's no welfare support, nothing. They managed to get a house in a, a little siding that that um, leans, sort of a lean-to onto a dance floor, a dance hall. And that's where they managed to find a place to live and otherwise scraping food out of wherever they could, including being. In Mooney Ponds back then, there was a little Methodist church, probably about this size. 
And they used to have a thing called Harvest Thanksgiving. Does anyone, is anyone here old enough to remember a thing called Harvest Thanksgiving? A few hands are going up. I wouldn't have put my hand up. You know my age then. But anyway, they had Harvest Thanksgiving. And what they used to do at Harvest Thanksgiving, they would take food and they would put it at the front of the church. Uh, farming communities sometimes still do it. They bring your produce as a gift to God. And so, and I remember my first experience of church was uh, seeing cans. I was raised in a suburb and there were cans of everything at the front of the church, not fresh produce. Someone heard about this woman's situation and went to the minister, the Methodist minister of that church. Methodist is one of the churches that formed the Uniting Church. And said, look, there's this family that are in dire straits. Can we do something? And that day they chose to give the entirety of their harvest thanksgiving to that family. That 12-year-old girl was my mum. And the next week she attended church for the first time in her life and never stopped going for the rest of her life. I believe in that one act, something happened. Her mother never went to church. She ended up in a, in a facility, mental health facility. She was fostered out in the year after. The one thing she could cling on to was the idea that there was a God after all. Let me tell you something. I'm not going to say this, but in 2005, when I was still at Aberfoyle Seeds, my mother was, had been in a dementia unit, hadn't sort of said a co- coherent word for probably six months. And we're driving down the freeway down south, and Kay, who, this happens to Kay, doesn't happen much to me, but she felt God speaking to him. She said, hon, we've got to turn around and go to the cottage homes where she was. Just right out of the blue, I think we need to go and see your mum. We went to see her in her room. I sat at the end of the bed and I started to say, to pray for her. And at the end of the prayer, I said the Lord's Prayer. And she uttered the exact words of the Lord's Prayer. And bear in mind, she hadn't said anything coherent for six months. That night she died. I share that with you. Because one day, when I go to heaven, I'm going to seek out a Methodist minister and I'm going to go up to him and I'm going to say, thank you. Because in that one act, you spoke Jesus. And when people speak Jesus, something happens, doesn't it? Oh, I speak Jesus for my family I have every day of their lives. And I know there's some of you here who are in a situation where you're praying for family. Some of you are praying for kids. Some of you are praying for parents. Some for nephews or nieces or there's a friend that you've been praying for. Oh, if only they knew Jesus. Let's pray from shall we? Can you stand with me?
I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm going to declare this space at the front on this red carpet as sacred ground. I'm going to invite you to do something that may seem threatening, but honestly, I believe that, I, that, that there's a time when God calls us to do something. And as we're here and we're gathered here, I'm going to, I know some of you have got people on your mind. And I'm going to invite you to bring them to the front. Just be yourself. And to stand at this front for them so that we can pray for them. It might be a husband, a wife, child, grandparent, parent, whoever, but there's somebody on your mind. In a moment, we're going to sing. In fact, we might do it now. Sing the goodness of God. And we're going to, you can come forward and start it now. And as we do, I guess I want to ask you a question. How many of you this morning believe that God is good? Most of us. How many of us believe that God answers prayer? Yeah. Why don't we put it to the test and today come to the front and say, Lord, I'm bringing this person with me. One, another thing I want to say here, when I talk legacy, some of you will be saying, oh, you know, this is for old people, grandparents like myself. Let me tell you something. It's never too early. Never too early. I committed my life to Jesus at the age of 17 and that is the most significant decision I ever made in my entire life. And I know that that began a legacy of faith in, for a generation and I believe that that will go from generation to generation to generation. Do you? So you, why not start now if you've never made a commitment to Christ? Saying this morning is my morning. I'm going to change the future. I'm going to make a difference. But others of you have people on your minds. Would you come forward and stand here? Because I just want to pray for you. And frankly, if I'm the only person standing on that mat, so be it. Let's go. Why don't you step out from your seat and come to the front here and I'll pray for you. And as we do, we're going to hear the goodness of God working in this place and filling this hall. Oh, Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name.